0: Welcome to the Diary of a Sugar Mom. I'm Robin Marshall, Sugar Mom. I hope you enjoy the story, and if you've missed the previous chapters, feel free to go to iTunes or Audio Boom and download previous episodes. It's free, and it's just my way of introducing myself to you through a book that I have put out a couple years ago. Also, every Tuesday, you'll hear my regular Sugar Mom podcast, which is just, you know, zany thoughts that go through my mind and Probably yours, too. It's just that I'm the type that talks (laughs) and says exactly what's on our minds. Let me start with Chapter 38 of The Diary of a Sugar Mom. Chapter 38, A Spoonful of Sugar, Baby. Being the mom of four daughters and one son left many a hormone raging in our house. Dancing became a staple from the age of three for all. As we would travel from stage to stage in competitions and recitals, I'd advise them to dance pretty and smile. When I think back to all the times I spent backstage putting fake eyelashes on quivering eyelids, blowing on the glue so that it would stick, it never did. I felt like the worst mom because I just couldn't master the damn lashes. How silly that we judge ourselves over something as ridiculous as that. I'd watch all the other dance moms do it in stride while smiling, giving their kids pep talks and glancing with daggers in our direction as if to say, there's that riffraff family that's constantly stealing our thunder. My girls would always be the dark horses and steal the show. Like mothers, like daughters... Too funny when I think back because they would always smile and dance pretty. My ace in the hole was my girlfriend, whom I would nicknamed Mary Poppins. She too had girls that were competition dancers, and she always had a smile on her face, but the kind of smile that was carefree without being stressful. It was more about, how ridiculous are we for putting up with this? Mary always glued the lashes on my girls without one shake of a finger. She always carried a big purse that had anything you could wish for inside. I'd test her. Mary, do you have a needle and thread in there? Maybe glitter? Do you have a marker for the show books? What about a flashlight so we can see while sitting together in the dark auditorium? She'd reach in her bag and with a casual swoop and voila! She'd produce whatever I asked for with a smile intact. I half wanted to ask her if she had a lamp in the purse, but I knew if I did, she wouldn't, and I'd finally have to stop believing that she was Mary Poppins reincarnated. How I talked my son into dancing, I'll never know. It haunted him for years through other kids making fun, but I continued to explain that it helped him with his footwork for all the sports he was involved with, and secretly, I was thrilled that it kept him tied to his sisters. What a bond they all had— Absolutely unheard of. Kids from near and far would walk into our home with the pre-existing knowledge from word of mouth that when you walk in with one, you belong to the whole crew. All kids shared each other's friends, and it was an unwritten rule amongst their friends that you could check in anytime you liked, but you could never really leave. A piece of every child always became a part of our home. They knew it. We knew it. Their parents knew it. It was magical, to say the least. Amazing how a mom, wife, daughter, and lover can spin so many stories out of wishes, desires, and justice. I noticed, as I became a mom over and over again, how righteous I'd become. I don't know if I was trying to fix past mistakes that my own parents had made, or if I was busy trying to fix the world for my kids' children to come. Somewhere in there, I was a mom, a normal mom. Well, I guess I was never normal by normal standards, but all I ever thought of was protecting my kids enjoying them, watching them achieve amazing skill sets, feeling like a goddess with every new venture they'd be willing to take. Never did I live vicariously through them because most of what they would accomplish were things I'd never even dreamt of doing as a child. Spinning like that ballerina multiple times? Yes, I would watch the tiny ballerina in my jewelry box doing spin after spin, kicking her leg out in perfect symmetry. But never did I even consider that for myself. My girls would do thirty, forty, fifty spins at a time and never tire while looking like primas. I was in awe for sure. I could never understand how boys would not be attracted just automatically by a girl that could do this. What a way for a mom to be thinking. I'd look at boys in the audience while my daughters would be on stage dancing and watch their expressions, hoping to catch just one who was genuinely interested in how talented she was, not just looking at her for sex. Some little warped piece inside of me thought, maybe, just maybe, I'd find my future son-in-law in that audience. The reality of it was that my children took my words as verbatim no matter how rebellious they were at any stages of their lives. My word was the last word. They knew I'd always tell the truth. Although it may not be something they'd want to hear, if I said it, it was gospel. I was grateful for their blind faith in me, as it made me very careful as a mom. I never wanted to be held accountable for telling them the wrong thing. Always in front of my mind was my dad and myself as a child. I'd ask any question in the world, and he'd always have an answer. My consistent response was, he could have been president. He knew a lot about a lot of things. I didn't as a parent. So I made sure that if I didn't know the answer, I would tell the truth so as to enable them to find it. Sometimes it would be embarrassing for me to admit that I didn't know because of my upbringing. Other times it would be a relief to be able to say, I don't know. And I'd wonder how many times my dad might have made up an answer in order to save himself that embarrassment of not knowing. We keep traveling in the same circles, but I believe the power my dad had over me is what spurred me on to find powerful men later in my own lifetime. Let me just stop for one minute and ask you, when you're done listening, if you're enjoying the story of A Diary of a Sugar Mom, if you could please just leave me a review on iTunes or Boom or wherever you're listening. Just let me know how you feel about the story, if you can relate. It's Robin Marshall, Sugar Mom. Let's move on to the next chapters. Chapter 39, A Temp Job My hand is in my hair, twirling it like my daughters on a dance floor spinning, remembering, and then picturing that same strand of hair being pulled last night. Who would have thought I'd admit to loving to have my hair pulled, when as a kid I remember having to pin my bra straps to my shirt sleeves. It was so unladylike to let them show, unlike today where it's become fashionable to let them peek out and taunt a suitor. Color also plays an important role in the life of a sugar baby. Red, black, pink, and pure white tell a story of their own. Just a strap can be the foreshadowing of what's to come. Not only was it the prospect of earning $500 for two hours of sex, conversation, and dinner, it was an ego boost for me with every slip of that bra strap and his wandering eye. Yet, sometimes, it turned around on me faster than my own mind allowed for processing. In the beginning, I only looked for attractive men. It's easier to lay down with someone that looks and feels good. The normal conversation inside my head had been, Wow, he's interested in me, and he's hot. If I'm choosing size for basketball, I'd like to do him. So let's see if I can get him bothered. The phrase I'd wait for was, You've got my attention, remember? Lately, I'd changed it up a bit. I felt more empowered if the man was less attractive, because at my age, having the looks I'd been able to hold on to and work for, the lesser attractive man was visibly shocked and even a bit shaken when he'd finally meet up with me and see what he had in store for himself. I was to him a score. To me, that was a very heady feeling, like being someone's fantasy come true. Imagine the man you'd always wanted to sleep with, the man who you'd fantasized about having on top of you, looking into your eyes and making you melt, the man who was skilled enough to make you feel like you were the one he'd been waiting for his whole life. That is what I felt like while with the imperfect man. When I say imperfect, I'm not meaning unattractive, but to see sheer delight on their faces was worth more than the money they spent for me. It was power. Looking at it through business peepers, building my clientele with the feeling of trepidation, thrill, fears, and exhilaration, it was a strong base filled with strong men, each of which would have liked to own me. Some still feel that way, and yet know they can't. I've told them all, you can't own me, you couldn't afford me. They ask the question, how much? It's the one sales question for which I'm unsure of the close, because I'm pricing myself way high on purpose. My reasoning is, I'm not sure I'd be happy with one man for any great length of time. And secondly, if I were to be happy, how could I possibly hold a man to a verbal agreement? Should I let everyone else go? No, my income is no less than 8000 a month, which really is not a lot of money when you think about what I'm bringing to his table, whether I'm on it or under it. Besides, what if I become bored? I also don't want to lose sight of why I'm doing this in the first place. This was, is to be a temporary fix. Chapter 40, Spilling the Beans It took a while, but eventually my husband came to me while living separately He still wasn't working and wanted to know how we were supporting two households, the kids and I in a house, and him in a bedroom in somebody else's house. We walked outside to the backyard. He asked me again, Dora, did you gain access to a credit card to pay off our expenses? And if so, you realize we're going to fall back in debt again, right? I looked down at the ground and measured my response to the man I'd never lied to or cheated on and said in a very steady voice, No, Jack, there's no credit card. I've started a business on the side. I'm very careful and selective of who I bring in, but it's strictly a cash business, and it's serving a purpose when we need it most. He asked, What type of business? Why couldn't you come to me? After all, we built every business together. I answered clear as day, Jack, we're no longer together, and this is a business you can't help me with. I can handle it on my own. He sat down on a lawn chair as I paced in front of him, wondering what the repercussions were about to be once I spilled. I looked at him and I said, I'm having sex for money. His head snapped up like a turtle that sees a freight train coming and said, You're what? I repeated and explained that I vetted every single person I'd meet up with and that there were very few. He asked, How much do you charge? I told him, $500 a visit or $2,500 monthly? Silence. Silence. He slapped his hand on his leg and said, What a great fucking business. Why couldn't you have done this while we were still married? I was visibly shocked. And then his final question came hurtling my way. Do we split the money? I looked at him as if he'd lost his mind and said, When you find your own customers and lay on your back and give of yourself, we'll discuss splitting the profits. Until then, fuck you. This belongs to the kids and me. And no, they don't know. Keep it that way. With that, I got up and walked in the house. Chapter 41. Less is More Bill was a perfect name because it was a reminder of why I was with him and what I had to pay. I spoke with him for at least a month online before I gave him my cell. He was typical of the men I would meet via the Sugar Daddy site. Older, wise, wealthy, very married, very attractive, and unsatisfied at home sexually. These men seemed to all be unwilling to get divorced and take a financial hit. I seemed to be the perfect answer to his problem. He owned a company that made machinery parts, a business competing with China, which he explained to be the loss of many of these types of jobs remaining in the U.S. today, when I asked, Why do you fight this economy? He answered, Dora, the competition with just the cost of labor alone is the toughest to deal with. I know this has nothing to do with our sex life, but it's important for me to know that you understand that I dig in my heels and continue to operate, even though this economy is so tough. I loved talking with him, Feeling that entrepreneurial kinship, I'd spoken with him for a while and knew he was a perfect fit for what I'd wanted, right then and there. Even if it was temporary, sex, comfort, money, friendship, I'd be happy with only two out of the four listed. This was a match made in heaven. After talking in depth, I sent him a bunch of my photos, and then he asked, Do you want photos in return? I said, No. I only want one, a headshot. Don't send me any more, because one is enough for me. I don't want smut. I just want you. So we agreed to meet. Even though he lived two hours away, he asked, Will you split the distance with me? Maybe meet me halfway at a bed-and-breakfast place that I know of? Brazen as the wind, the words blew through my mouth. How I mustered up the tactic, the courage, the logic to say... I'd love to. You'd just have to pay me double and cover the gas. The minute the words escaped my lips, I saw the string floating above my head, words that I'd like to put back and try over again, words that could have ruined this great friendship I built with this wonderful man. I know, it seems nutty, but I really, truly liked him. Where is the ten-second delay in life when we need it? As I was looking for the end of the string of what I'd just muttered to pull back in, he answered with, Sounds fair to me. Silence. I couldn't even think of the proper thing to say after all the impurity of what had just come out of me. In my head I was thinking, This friend is willing to pay me $1,000 to drive an hour there and an hour back, and no more than two hours of playtime, and we've never even met. That's the moment I felt. I really liked what I was doing. In fact, I couldn't wait to meet him. How risky for him. He trusted me and felt I was worth it. What a great feeling to finally feel worthy. My friend and confidant, whom I've called the Dreamweaver from the beginning, insisted I'd been spending too much time cultivating relationships. It's not cost-efficient, he'd say. I knew right then and there that I'd been right all along for spending the time needed. Had I not learned from my previous businesses that a good customer is a repeat customer, I didn't want one man one time. I wanted only a few men, but steadily. My philosophy was to build from the bottom, having a strong foundation, and make each man realize how much he meant to me, only one man at a time. Continue to only choose the men that I really, really liked. Grow them slowly like a budding plant, a new business, and be selective. If you have to force a sale, it'll never stick. It's the golden rule of sales. I never forced myself on any of them. And each man I'd cultivate a bond with would know that he couldn't force himself on me. It had to feel natural, even within the unnatural confines of a sugar daddy, sugar baby beginning. Maybe I'd even find that right man. We made the trip and met halfway. He was everything I'd expected he'd be. This could have meant it would be harder work for me in order to measure up to his expectations, but it was smooth as silk. I was who I'd said I was, too. It was a match. There was no disappointment on either end. We had brunch, and as we went upstairs, I was anticipating once again my favorite part, him undressing me. The minute the door closed behind us, This gentle man took possession of what he'd thought we'd built in a very manly way. He undressed me one piece of clothing at a time, looking intently at each part he uncovered. The strength to me was the fact that I was the first in a long, long time for him. Dora, if nothing else, I'll never forget what you look like, feel like, and hopefully taste like. "'for the rest of my life,' he whispered in my ear. "'Whatever memory he'd take out of this room later that day was all on me. "'I needed to make it very special for him. "'He traveled the distance. "'He was exactly what he said he would be, "'and he was so fucking turned on by me. "'He laid his hands on me, and his mouth found every part of me, "'like he'd been searching for water in a desert. "'I was his oasis,' eager to feed him cup after cup. Did it feel great to me? Yes. Yes, Bill. Taste me. I feel like I've been saving this flavor for you forever. Strangely, I was realizing, through different sets of circumstances, that the more tied up a man was, whether because of a wife or a business that had him completely absorbed, the better I'd feel emotionally knowing that I was creating this outlet for him. It so turned me on that the physical side raced to keep up with the emotional side. Let me be the fixer. Isn't it funny how sometimes we can't fix our own lives, but it's so easy to fix everyone else's? It certainly was easier living in a temporary place, making fistfuls of money for what felt like no work, Versus a 24-7 minimum wage world, he kissed me, picked me up, carried me across the room, where he slowly and methodically began to finish me. One kiss, one lick, one pull, one push, until I was wishing we never, ever had to leave the room. Money? That was the last thing on my mind. And that was my problem. If someone like him forgot his money, I wouldn't even realize it until that Porsche Turbo Carrera of his left the parking lot. I heard myself thinking, Dora, stay focused. Don't get lost. Don't let him literally carry you away. Apparently, some men can sell me just by being themselves versus me having to sell them. There's always the chance of that unwritten rule. It's the unexpected. Who am I kidding? It's who I am. I'm a one-man woman. His car was a turn-on. It certainly was my dream car. I wondered if that had any influence over what happened in the bedroom. After rethinking it, I really didn't think so because normally cars just don't matter to me. This one registered a wealthy, dignified man with a certain lifestyle that would not be interfered with. I was probably the closest thing to running interference in a while. I create my own slaps to my face by thinking about what my kids would think if they knew what I was doing. Mom, what the fuck are you doing? One minute I feel they'd be mortified. They can't even stand the thought of me dating, let alone attaching a price to myself by offering companionship and sex. In the next moment, they're so liberal thinking that it almost scares me to death that being their role model may play a bigger role than I'd expect in their lives. Or would they say, Oh, we get it, Mom. We're just not sure if we would do the same. My girls walk around the house wearing nothing other than panties, bras, just like me. And we have full conversations while scantily dressed as if we were fully clothed. Their friends come in and are the same way. It's understood that when boys come over, we have a code that's passed from one child on one floor to another, including the mom on the second floor. Girls, put some clothes on, or we're capable of ruining a life. They understand the power that they hold. With the less is more policy I've taught them. The less you wear, the more you're desired. Chapter 42 Member FDIC K Last week, I took my two youngest to the bank, intent on opening bank accounts for them. Knowing I'd been job hunting to stay in my legitimate line of work and having so few openings, my youngest daughter asked, "'Why do you have to work in the media?' My answer was, "'It's all I know how to do.' The older daughter said with a straight face, "'No, you could be a stripper.' I almost fell off my chair." as the other child continued with as straight a face as her sister, you do have nice legs. My initial reaction was shock that they'd even think this way, but seconds later I realized we can't change who we are and that the sooner I recognized that they are absolutely my own and just like me, the sooner we'd all make it through in one piece. My next comment, of course, fell right in line. Let me go and get my collapsible pole out of the trunk. Their eyes bugged out and both said, Really? This caused one of those laughing jags that bring families closer together in spite of the subject matter. Tears of laughter until the banker we'd been waiting on didn't know what to make of this family of girls that all looked the same. She wanted to know if we were sisters and if the younger two were twins. My answer was, no, I'm the mom. They're not twins, but we're all of the same twisted mind. Just different levels of comprehension depending upon our ages. As they grow up, they'll think just like me. As when I was their ages, I thought just like them. Makes sense? No matter. It does to us. I think as young as they do, but I've gained a drop of common sense to get me through. I just don't let them or anyone else know it except for my friend, Dreamweaver, who tries desperately to keep me in line for what reason I'm still trying to figure out. I feel he enjoys my calamities as much as he worries about them. It's a very careful balance because he knows if he laughs, he could easily be encouraging me, which is not the point of his guidance. Unfortunately for him, he and I share the same twisted sense of humor, so basically we're screwed. We just continue to egg each other on, laughing, teasing, and being each other's reality checks. Although this friend insisted I not take checks, but needed to check in with me to gather hotel names and room numbers. By reporting to him if I didn't come out alive, he knew where I kept the cash that was to be delivered to my kids. That's what friends are for, aren't they? That new world I live in, where I have to make sure web browsers are closed, no clues left open, bring in the cash, hide it, and be able to explain to my kids that, yes... They can have $50 every time they need, even though I was out of work. I feel grateful that they're as unobservant as I am. At any given moment, I could be busted by them or an undercover officer who may be posing as a client. It's scary to think we're so smart, and yet all it would take is one indiscretion to ruin our game. When did this become a game? I'm constantly kicking myself to stay aware. This coming from the woman who is the most unaware woman on earth. I park my car in front of a store and for the life of me will never understand why I can't find it. I've left my kids on fields and forgotten them, not by choice, but just by being preoccupied. At one time, all five kids were playing soccer, two were travel soccer players, three intermediate players, but it was a bit overwhelming to try and watch all the kids playing on staggered schedules and even harder when some played at the same time, forcing my husband and I to walk to the opposite fields so that each child would get the sense that we'd both seen them all play on that day. I remember feeling like I'd lost my marbles, and then remembering as a teen I actually played marbles. Boulders were the bigger marbles that we all tried to win. Funny how I'm feeling bolder as I get older with this crazy sexual industry I'm mastering slowly but surely. The downside is many of these guys make me seriously question if what I'm doing is worth it. I believe they feel badly enough about themselves that they're able to transfer those feelings to a woman like me, who takes great pride in being able to empathize as well as sympathize. I think I've gotten myself inside of this world where I've been forced to learn the different types of players, even while not understanding who or what they are, yet willing to try. These are the men that thrive on making me feel like I'm worthless or uneducated the minute I tell them I'm not interested. They use my naivety against me. For instance, imagine a 32-year-old man saying he finds you to be hot as hell while expecting you to like anal sex and handcuffs. As if it's understood. Or what about the he-she? I'm learning as I go along, step by seductive step, that a he-she is a man that is trying to become a woman. Apparently, he's got his penis intact, but he's also either had surgery or taken hormones to grow breasts that are realistic enough to make even someone like me appreciate the result. What do we really want to suck on with a he-she? It's baffling, to say the least. Then, to make matters worse, I'd find a man who wanted both me and a he-she. Which part am I supposed to pay attention to, top or bottom? I've learned that I can't really be as honest as I'd like in these type of circumstances because, frankly, these men are nuts. I just can't tell them how I really feel, or these hybrids will come back to haunt me over and over again with nonstop emails and calls which is the last thing a woman my age can handle. I try saying things like, maybe you should reach out to a woman that's closer to your own age or what you're into. I bet you'd share more of the same interests. I'm then called a slut, a whore, a grandma, and worthless, which of course brings out the best in me. I'm forced to remind this freakazoid that he is indeed suffering from small dick syndrome. He continues insulting me with emails to the point where I just say fuck it and block him, which amazingly I don't think to do ahead of time because I always want to believe I can reason with a man. While it felt good to speak my mind, I still wound up feeling like scum. Chalk it up to a bad day in the life of a sugar baby. I missed Bill and the likes of him. It was a shame that we lived so far apart. Yes, I'm still the mom. While feeling like the temporary slut, if I didn't get paid and I do get abused, I'm definitely the slut. Thank God for the men who pay me. I can hold my head up and call myself a whore. My mind is spinning as I pay the bills. Sex, morals, justification have all been thrown in a blender on high. Next Thursday, join Dora as she delves even further into the world of Sugar Daddy. And even though she's told her husband, she's struggling to maintain anonymity with her children and friends. This is Robin Marshall, Sugar Mom. Let me just stop for one minute and ask you, when you're done listening, if you're enjoying the story of A Diary of a Sugar Mom, if you could please just leave me a review on iTunes or Boom or wherever you're listening. Just let me know how you feel about the story, if you can relate. It's Robin Marshall, Sugar Mom. Let's move on to the next chapters. A Westwood One Podcast Production.